Welcome to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Jason, what's going on? Well, Preston, we're sitting here as we record this. It's the middle of August. Just a few days ago, there were widespread, devastating storms that came across Iowa, northern Illinois, and other parts of the country, and really did a number on a lot of the crops. Fortunately, here in our area, things still look pretty good. We didn't get the full brunt of the storm. For sure. I actually saw the storm. You recorded a video up at Roanoke, where you were at. It looked pretty bad. And um, from there, I watched it blow in and hit me in the Champaign area pretty good. So really didn't get a whole lot of field walking in that day. With that being said, the, our guest today does spend a lot of time in farmers' fields, uh, Eric Ift. Uh, Jason, do you want to give the listeners a little bit of information about Eric? Sure. Eric is a customer business advisor with Bayer. Some of our listeners may actually know Eric. He gets out and around quite a bit, spends a lot of time with growers. And he's really a passionate guy. And that passion comes through in this interview. He's passionate about his job. And he's also passionate about agriculture and helping growers. For sure. Whether you're, whether the listener is a, a customer or a consumer of, of food products or a farmer, I think you're going to get a lot of uh, information out of this interview. So let's jump right in. Eric, welcome to the podcast. To kick things off, could you tell us a little bit about your background and career history? Sure. Um, I grew up here in Illinois. I grew up on a farm in Livingston County. And uh, my love uh, on our farm was uh, dad and I would go out every night after supper and walk a field and just talk about what we were seeing. And that's where my love of agronomy came from. And so uh, I chose to attend the University of Illinois and major in agronomy. Um, while I was at the University of Illinois, I spent two summers interning with American Cyanamid, uh, working with uh, a researcher with two experimental compounds. That's kind of interesting because those compounds became the herbicides called Scepter and Pursuit, uh, which had very, very different uh, paths in the marketplace later on. Uh, one became very famous. The other one became very infamous. But that's where my love of, of chemistry came from. And so when I, I graduated uh, from the U of I, I, uh, I wanted to work in the crop protection industry. Uh, at that time, there were over 20 companies in crop protection in ag. It's very different today, a lot fewer companies, but I applied to work for uh, all of them. I was not offered any jobs in crop protection. I was offered three jobs in the seed industry. So I took the lowest paying offer that I got and started with Pioneer in, uh, in 1985. Um, my plan was to work five to seven to 10 years to get enough experience uh, to move into crop protection. Well, you know how life goes. Uh, I got married, we, we started having children, and the next thing I knew I had 23 years in uh, with that company. And so I knew I was at a point in my career where if I was going to make that change to crop protection, that I needed to do it soon. Um, well, it, it worked out really, really well because um, Bear had created this role called a customer business advisor. Um, they were looking for one in central Illinois. I did not have to relocate. It was all around agronomy and agronomy service related to crop protection products, which was my love. It was a perfect fit for me. And so I, I left Pioneer in 2008 and, and came to work for Bear or uh, came to work for Bear at that time uh, in this role. So next month I'll, I'll have 12 years. Uh, in with Bear. Now the role is changing a little bit now, but that's kind of my uh, kind of my history and background. I've, I've got a lot of seed experience and and uh, and crop protection experience. 
you said you started having kids and the next thing you know, you had 23 years. I thought you were going to say 23 kids. Oh, no, no, no. It's, it, uh, we, uh, we plan to have my, my wife is the ninth of 10 children in her family. I also come, uh, my dad was one of 14. And so I have many, many cousins. And so our, our plan was to have more children than, than what we had. Um, God gave us two beautiful daughters. And, uh, after paying for college for both of them, I, I think God was the smarter one of the plan. So, uh, I think that all worked out very well. Uh, I, I love my girls. Yeah, we're a few years out from that uh, college thing, Preston and I, but uh, yeah, we'll figure that out when it comes. Uh, yeah, you'll you'll get your shock when that time comes. <laughs> so you've been in ag for a long time, and uh, from, from childhood, really, and so you've seen some changes over your career. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those changes? Oh, man. Uh, you know, the changes that come over time, you kind of roll with them and you don't really think about it until you really think back to the way things were back then. And so um, I think, I think the big ones for me, obviously the size of the equipment, the speed of the equipment. I never dreamed we would plan at 10 mile an hour. I never dreamed we'd have 120 foot booms with sprayers that can go 15 mile an hour. I, I could never envision that. Uh, yield monitors, uh, drones, things like that um, really, really uh, uh, have been amazing. I, I worked 13 years in the industry before there was any genetically engineered crops. So I was in Northwest uh, Illinois, corn borer absolutely devastated our corn. And you know what, Jason, Preston, we, we didn't even think about it. It was just a part of growing corn. You right. just, you, it, it's just something that you, you didn't think about. You couldn't really spray for it very well. It was expensive to do. And we just kind of lived with it. So when BT corn came out and we had it in plots right next to non-BT, it, it was an earth shattering experience to think about. So I, I have to think back on all that, but probably the coolest change that I've seen in ag really has happened in the last five to 10 years. And, and that is watching these growers go from being a farmer to being a CEO. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I'll use our company's example. Uh, the three of us, we kind of work for a big corporation that has a right. CEO and his name is Liam Condon and Liam steers the big ship. And I think Liam is very, very good at what he does. But let's be realistic. Liam could not do your job, Jason. He could not do your job, Preston. And he could not do my job. He doesn't have the skills to do it. But that's okay because he has people on his team that have the skills that we have to run the big ship called Bear. I now see that with farmers. I see them recognizing that their farms are multi-million dollar corporations and to have quality of life, they don't have to be everything to everybody and they have people on their teams to play those roles just like the three of us play in Bear Crop Science. I think that's extremely exciting. Yeah, that's really cool. And I don't know that I've really thought about it in that way before, but I appreciate that thought. Yeah, I, I am very fortunate that I am considered part of the team of some operations in central Illinois. And I, I take that very seriously. For me, it's not about selling bear products on that farms. I'm emotionally invested in those farms as they are. I play a role on their team, just like I play a role on the bear team. So Eric, to kind of boil it down to a base level, especially for the consumers who might be listening to this podcast, 
why do farmers even have to use crop protection products? Oh, that's a great question. And I actually get asked that. I, I live in a, in a town of about uh, 16, 18,000 people. And because of schools and friends I, and people know what I do for a living, I get, I get asked that every once in a while. And, and I try to help them understand that um, crop protection is exactly what uh, it says it is. It's protecting the crop to produce the most high quality and, and abundant food supply that, that we possibly can for the consumers. And so weeds and insects and fungal disease take away from those, take away from those yields, take away from those product qualities. And so we, we use those to offset the, uh, offset the yield losses that would be occurred uh, by, those, uh, by those diseases, by those insects. Obviously, there's been a lot of changes in crop protection products over the years. I mean, Preston's brought up the example before of uh, the recommendation, I think, for corn rootworm control was arsenic. to spray arsenic. <laughs> so, obviously, there's yeah, been corn change. borer mix arsenic and molasses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not exactly, uh, yeah. you know, a, a recipe for safety. And like Preston's pointed out, not so safe for the neighbor's dog or the children or whatever else. So, when we talk about new products, how how much safer are they than you know old products? Sure, um, I, I'm probably not the most qualified to answer that question, but but how I say it to people is: look, the the EPA was was invented by the government as the Environmental Protection Agency, and and I think at first it was to keep things like arsenic from being used and DDT from being developed. And, and to make sure that things were being protected, uh, that the, the other people were being protected and that we had a good quality uh, food supply out there that was safe. However, I think that's really changed today to where not only is the EPA managing that, but I think farmers have become uh, much more environmentally steward, uh, stewards of the land than, than ever before. I mean, when we, when we look around today, I, I, go, I go back to the day when I was growing up, we moboard plowed everything. We buried the stalks. That's how we managed corn borer, right? Bury the stalks. Don't let, give them a place to overwinter. Well, then we would get the, 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 the uh, snow in the ditches wasn't white. It was black from the topsoil that we were losing. And then all of a sudden it, be, it became understood that we're losing the greatest natural resource that God ever gave us in central Illinois. And that's this topsoil. So then we went to a conservation tillage. We went to a no-till. Now we're moving into the cover crop arena. So it's not only about saving the soil, it's about better soil health and period. It's not only about saving, it's about making it better. It's about taking it back to the way it used to be when this was a prairie land before, before we were here, right? And so I think all of that is good. It takes time for people to recognize those things, but we're getting better and better. So back to the original question, the EPA standards are strict today uh, to bring products out, and they should be. And Bayer sticks by those standards. We try to develop products that are, that are safe to the environment, safe to birds, safe to fish, safe to humans. Uh, safe to the end consumer, sticking by those standards. And I think our passion around doing that is not just because the EPA is telling us to do that. It's because we know it's the right thing to do. So th there's that balance there. I, I do have people that come up to me and they say, the world would be better if it was organic. We should grow things organically. Um, and and that, that's a very open discussion I like to have. Unfortunately, when you do the math on that, 
um, we would not be able to produce enough food to feed the world that, that the experts estimate that we would lose a third of the population of the earth to starvation um, within about 50 years. And so there has to be this, there should be this give and take of being able to use the tools that we have safely to produce high quality food to feed people. And, and I just want anybody listening to this to, to understand that that's exactly what farmers want to. They, they want it to be safe. They want it to be environmentally uh, uh, safe and, and to be good stewards of the soil. Um, yes, they need to make a profit. They're, they're in farming to make money. I don't, I don't deny that. It's a lot of work and a lot of risk and a lot of stress. They need to make money, but, but they're some of the best environmental stewards that there, that there are out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's an excellent perspective, Eric, and I, I totally agree uh, with everything you said there. It reminds me of a quote, uh, U of I, it's on some of the buildings there. The wealth of Illinois lies in our soils. And I think I totally agree that farmers are more than maybe any other industry, the most invested in the, the long-term durability of their profession. I wanted to dial in to one specific class of crop protection products. Once again, back to the, the folks who may not know how, how this stuff works, but a lot of farmers have wrapped up fungicide applications for 2020 at this point. The consumers probably have seen the, the crop dusters flying over the field. I was curious, Eric, could you kind of describe how fungicides work? Sure, absolutely. Um, just so the, the listeners understand, um, we've had herbicides for a long time. We've had insecticides for a long time. And there have been fungicides on the market for a long time as well, but they were primarily used in the high-valued vegetable crops, high-valued fruit crops, and, and the broad acre crops like corn and soybeans. This is relatively new it really just um, began to take off in about 2006. So we're really only looking at about 13, 14, 15 years of experience with this chemistry. So, so for our industry, um, the broad acre fungicide is relatively new and we're, so we're still learning uh, about it. Um, the fungicides really, as their name implies, um, uh, deal with fungal diseases and we have a number of fungal diseases in corn that we've had to deal with over the years. We, we dealt with them primarily through traditional plant breeding, developing hybrids that were resistant to things like gray leaf spot and northern corn leaf blight and, and common rust. Well, today we have a, a tool in these broad acre fungicides that we can spray to help us help us manage those. And so there's there's really three things that they do um, first is, is manage the disease. So it's no different than if you have a rash on your arm and you apply a, a, a cream on it to, to take care of those diseases. Uh, another is around uh, plant health. Um, one of the, the chemistries called the strobilurin chemistries uh, really help with keeping that plant healthy and green. And if, and if you think about that, it, it's, it's creating a better machine to create better yield. So a corn plant or a soybean plant makes yield through photosynthesis. And the more you can keep green tissue out there and keep it healthy and happy, the better machine it is to create that yield, to create that corn grain or that, that soybean grain. And then the third thing that, that fungicides do really well is relieve stress. And, and especially when we look at the soybean crop, we know that soybeans are a crop that uh, they can abort 60 to 80% of their pods and blooms. And, and as stress, heat stress, drought stress, things like that, uh, they, they, they tend to abort more of their blooms and flowers. 
fungicides help to relieve stress on that on that plant as well as cure the diseases so we've got farmers today that are very big believers in fungicide they they scout and and spray we have farmers that are not believers in fungicide yet because it's a newer technology we have tools like our climate field view where we can measure that 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 response and see things like plant health um, responses as well as yield responses and so this is a, a big initiative uh, across the ag industry to make sure that we're using the right tools, we're using them safely, and we're getting the proper ROI, uh, return on investment, from those applications. And as you mentioned earlier, farmers are essentially CEOs, and they're making these decisions based on, A, what's good for the environment, but B, also profitability. And you mentioned ROI. Fungicides have been widely adopted mainly because they pay. Farmers see that they protect the crop and give them enough yield benefit to cover the cost of the fungicide and then more. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's it's no different than when we, we go out and we scout and say we have Japanese beetles in our soybeans. We look at percent defoliation. We look at the amount of that, of that green leaf tissue, that factory again that produces the beans. And we say at a certain point, there's an economic threshold that it pays then to spray. In other words, the, the cost of the insecticide is less than the, than the, than the yield loss that you're gonna experience from that, from that insect feeding. Uh, and so I, 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 wanna, I wanna help people understand that, that farmers make those decisions, not just willy-nilly that, oh, I have this bug and I have to go spray or I have this disease and I have to go spray. Uh, it's about producing the best quality food and, and about return on investment uh, out there uh, so it's it's a big business decision. And the average consumer may or may not understand, but there are diseases and problems that can infect a corn, for example, that can make it not fit for consumption for either food or animals. And so in some cases, it's necessary or, or the crop is basically a complete loss. Yeah, absolutely. A, a big one that we experience here in Illinois, we don't have a lot of wheat grown in Illinois. I personally believe we're going to see more wheat grown in Illinois for a reason we may or may not want to get into on this podcast, but we have a disease called fusarium head scab in wheat. Uh, our, our, our environment in Illinois is too wet, too moist that we get that disease. That's why wheat is grown out in the dry lands of Kansas and out in Nebraska where they don't have the humidity and the rain that we have. So they have less of, of that disease. But um, without treating for fusarium head scab on wheat in Illinois, um, we would probably have one out of three years where the crop is, has to be destroyed. It can't be used. It has aflatoxins so bad in the grain that it's completely worthless. At that point, that's a complete loss for the grower, other than maybe a use for the straw on the wheat. But that is just not a good situation at all. Absolutely not. Eric, at the beginning of this conversation, you described kind of the history and the changes you've seen in agriculture in your time in the industry. I'm curious, what gets you most excited about the future of ag? What are some changes on the horizon and what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I talked about GMOs and I talked about, uh, you know, uh, utilizing drones and utilizing yield monitors. And, and I'm just really excited to see what those new technologies that I'm not even thinking about today. I can't wait for the next one that comes out. I'll go back to the BT corn thing. When I first heard about taking a naturally occurring soil bacteria 
and putting it in every cell of the corn plant. So you're not adding anything to the environment. You're just putting it where it's needed to protect that crop. That was like a sledgehammer hitting me upside the head. I would have never dreamed that was even possible to do. So what's that next one that's coming out that we can't even dream as possible? Uh, it, it just, I can't wait to, to learn what that is. And, and quite frankly, I, I sit in the evenings. I, I'm not a, a big TV fan. I, I love to read. And so I sit in the evenings and I just read and read and read, trying to get a glimpse uh, of what that is that's coming, you know. Uh, there's also a lot of people that could be naysayers and say, well, the population's growing too fast and we'll never keep up and we'll never, you know, I'm a positive person. I'm a glass half full person. I think we're in the greatest industry in the world. Uh, we, we get to produce the food to, to feed people. And, and I just think that's really awesome. But what that next new technology is that whaps me upside the head like a sledgehammer, like BT corn did back <laughs> in the day. That just excites me to even try to dream about what that is. Yeah, I think we uh, we share your excitement and you know the things that are coming and and even you know that we haven't imagined yet. But there's a lot of things when we think about the future that you know people wouldn't have imagined where we are today. You can think about technology or a lot of other things. So that applies to agriculture also. Oh, absolutely. Well, Eric, we appreciate your time here today. You obviously have passion for what you do and for the ag industry in general. If there are people that are listening that are interested in getting a hold of you, contacting you, what is the best way to do that? I'm on Twitter at, at Eric underscore Ift. So that's E-R-I-C underscore I-F-F-T. Uh, or my email address is eric.ift at bear.com. Uh, anybody and everybody's more than willing to reach out to me if they have uh, uh, questions as well. Uh, I would also like to just mention that uh, I am currently chairman of the Illinois Certified Crop Advisor Program, and I'd like the listeners to be able to understand that there are groups like the Certified Crop Advisors. And, and what we are is, is a group of people that work with growers out there. We have about 1,200 of us now in the state of Illinois, and we have said we want to step up and we want to show that we have base knowledge enough to pass an exam to become certified. That, that we understand enough about agriculture. And it is not an easy exam to pass. In fact, there's two exams that need to be passed, a, a tri-state one and an international exam. And then once you pass that exam, exam, you have to have a letter of recommendation from a grower, you have to have so many years experience, and then you have to keep your continuing education units by going to classes, by taking webinars, uh, to keep up on the latest technology. It's something that's voluntary in many organizations. Companies like Bayer do not make me do this or make others do it. It's people that have really wanted to step up and say, this is something that I want to do to make sure I'm in the latest no and giving the best advice to, to, to growers. I'm, I'm honored to be the, the chairman of the Illinois Certified uh, Crop Advisor Board. Uh, we are one of the largest certified crop advisor organizations in, in the United States. And it's, uh, I've been in it since 1996. I've spent a long time in the organization. Uh, I will tell you that at first uh, I, I had to come around to learn because it was like, oh no, now I got to go to these classes and get these hours. Now I, now I beg to go because now not for me, it's not about getting the hours anymore. It's about staying relevant on how fast agriculture is, is moving. 
And so it's, it's an absolutely great uh, organization. And again, I just want the listeners out there to understand that, that there are many, many people besides the farmers that are stepping up and becoming environmental stewards. There's those of us out there that work in ag that advise these growers that also want to step up and get better at what we do. And the, and the Certified Crop Advisor Program uh, through the American Society of Agronomy is, is one of those organizations. Yeah, it's a great program. And as you mentioned, just like other professional certification programs, there's a lot involved in, in staying current. And it's not a one-time deal where you get certified and then that's it. You have it for the rest of your career. You have to keep up on that continuing education. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll be sure to, to link to this CCA program in the show notes. Eric will also link to your Twitter handle. Thanks again for taking time out of your day to, to leave the cornfields for half an hour and talk with us for this podcast. We really appreciate it. It's my honor. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.